It is day number nine of the Biden presidency. America, are we ready for his plan to fight the pandemic? Let's talk about it this hour. This is America, Are We Ready? from WNYC in New York. Our Thursday night call-in series for the first hundred days of the new administration. Good evening, everyone. I'm Brian Lehrer from WNYC. And good evening from WABE in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. Now we're opening the phones this hour to talk about President Biden's plan for the pandemic and other COVID-19 news. This week, the president announced plans to have enough vaccine for every American by the end of this summer. But here's something else, hopefully to get a lot more out to the states in the next three weeks. Yes. And remember that time frame, folks, three weeks. Biden is promising three weeks notice about how much vaccine each state will receive. And that's because people have been so frustrated by having vaccination appointments, but then having them canceled because the expected supplies weren't ready to be delivered. And Brian, it's the news that keeps on giving another piece of COVID news from today. Now this so-called South African variant has been found in two folks in South Carolina, and we're told they did not leave the country and they didn't even know each other. So that variant is here, and we'll talk about what that means. And still to be resolved, stark disparities that are only now coming to light between whites and people of color who are actually receiving the vaccines. For example, here is Colorado Governor Jared Polis on CNN last night, acknowledging that while 22% of his state's population is Latino, only 4% of the people vaccinated in his state have been, and he cited two main problems. Number one, what our initial research showed is that there's more vaccine hesitancy in communities of color. Um, and we, we, we have we designed advertising campaigns, we've gone to opinion leaders. Uh, that's why I said that the, the, the black church leaders work well with it has their uh, their blessing to occur. Uh, many members of the church will follow. But uh, yeah, it's, it's been a problem. The second issue is many of them are medically underserved. So especially among our undocumented population. Colorado Governor Jared Polis on CNN. And Rose, where I live here in New York, upper Manhattan, the population is more Dominican than anything else. But the one big vaccination site known as the Washington Heights Armory seemed to have around 90% white people walking in when a local news organization called The City went and looked the other day and no Spanish translators to assist non-English speakers who were there. So that site changed their policy today to reserve 60% of their shots for people from the neighborhood. You know, Brian, it's hard to believe here in 2021 we are still talking about disparities as it relates to health care and access. We know black and brown communities have been hit harder by this virus. And what appears to be complex in all of this is where you live. Now, states have their own distribution plan, and I've spoken with so many in public health policy. They say, look, perhaps a more universal plan with guidance from Washington would be helpful. And there are some other factors to consider here. As you mentioned, there is a combination of vaccine hesitancy, vaccine availability, and then communication that needs to be improved about where to get it, how to get it, and let's be clear, who to get it from. So America, we're asking you, are we ready to get the vaccination program right? Are we ready to really beat the pandemic? What can they do at the White House that will reduce risk in your house? So a lot of questions in there, but yeah. take your take your pick. And listeners, we're opening up the phones right now on that question here on Joe Biden Day 9. What can they do at the White House to reduce the risk in your house? That's our central question tonight. What can they do at the White House to reduce the risk in your house? Call us 
at 844-745-TALK. That's 844-745-8255, 844-745-TALK. Here are some other questions you can answer, too. How good a job is your state doing at rolling out its vaccine program? We know different states have different ways of determining who goes first and who has to wait, for example. And how are they doing at fighting the vaccine disparities that we've already mentioned? How is your state doing at setting priorities and making the vaccine accessible? 844-745-TALK. Help us report this story. 844-745-8255. So, America, are we ready to take the vaccine? The science, we want to talk science, let's talk science. The science so far shows it is extremely safe. But here's a question. How are you judging for yourself whether to get vaccinated now? So let's give that number again, 844-745-TALK. Again, 844-745-TALK. Figure it out on your phone. It's easy to do. Or you can call with any COVID question for our guest, who we will meet now and who will be with us this whole hour. Rose, you've interviewed our guest before, I haven't, so will you introduce her to me and the rest of us? Not a problem. She's Dr. Jane Morgan, an Atlanta-based cardiologist and clinical director of the COVID Task Force for the Piedmont Healthcare System. Dr. Morgan, we keep meeting like this. We're going to have our own program. (laughs) (laughs) I know, you're right. Hi, Rose. Hey, Dr. Morgan. And Dr. Morgan, nice to virtually meet you. And since this is a Biden First 100 Days series, can we start with your take on what you see as the most new and different from the Trump administration response to the virus? I mean, we don't know yet whether it'll work, but what do you see as COVID task force director at a major medical group in a major city that might change as they roll this all out? You know, they're certainly put, putting science first, I think, without, without question. And I think part of what we've seen in the in the vaccine rollout, why there has been um, not the uptake that we expected, is because there was not adequate communication or messaging ahead of the rollout. Um, and there's maybe a distrust of the science and even the administration, what's true, what's not true. And so it's it's good to see that science is at the forefront, that the voices of science are able to speak freely. Um, and provide the facts and provide the information. Um, and I think that that's really been the big difference. And, and that's one of the things of which I'm appreciative. And, you know, Dr. Morgan, in that clip that we played, that we heard from Colorado Governor Polis, where he talked about, he acknowledged, he said, look, in this state, that it's the same black and brown communities that have been hit hardest by COVID, not only just in illness, but in death. But these are the same communities that are getting vaccinated so far at the lowest rate. I'm sure that's Uh probably not lost on you. No, absolutely not, and and totally not unexpected. And and there is really not, um, you know, there's not a sage reason why we should not have been prepared for that. That's clearly not unexpected. When we look at this vaccine, it is um, a combination of uh, the healthcare system, which does not engender a lot of trust with, with black and brown communities, um, and then it involves heavily research, which is almost taboo in, in the black communities. When we begin to talk about all the atrocities that have been committed against African-Americans in the name of science, in the name of research. And then we add in the government, which also uh, has not traditionally worked um, in the best benefits. Um, all three of those things come together. 
um, with the, with these vaccines and with the vaccine rollout. And so it completely is not a surprise at all. What What is unfortunate and disturbing is that uh, the voice of science was dampened. Uh, people who are able to get out ahead of this and begin those communication efforts, you know, there was a stifling of that as well. Um, and much of the responsibility was uh, left to the state. So we have 50 states, 50 states are doing it differently, multiple hospitals in every state, every hospital is doing it differently. So we, we have this level of uh, unevenness, lack of standardization, lack of understanding um, uh, throughout throughout our system. And, was, and really it was handled very similar to the, the PPE situation that we had back in March, April, and May where things were left to the states and the states were scrambling and it, you know, some were doing better than others, and I, and I think that's where we see ourselves now with the vaccine rollout. Let's take our first caller. Here's Leo in Atlanta. You're on America. Are we ready? Hi, Leo. Thanks for calling in. Hi there. Leo, do we have you? Hi. Hi there. Yeah, you have you a question for Doc? Yeah, now we got you. I apologize. You have a question or a story to tell us? Well, actually, when I called in, you're... Uh, all right. I guess we're having a little trouble with that line. We'll get, we'll get that straightened out. So I'll ask you this, Dr. Morgan. At least on paper, Biden has a plan for dealing with the disparities with respect to the vaccine. As described by CNN, these are their words to describe it, Biden's five-point plan for vaccine equity includes putting federally supported vaccination centers in high-risk neighborhoods, setting up mobile vaccination sites in medically underserved areas, administering the vaccine at independent pharmacies, partnering with community health centers, and ensuring high-risk facilities such as jails and homeless shelters have access to the vaccine. So one, does that sound like a plan that's likely to make a big difference? And two, do you think it's doable to roll that out in, in your case, in a place like Atlanta? You know, sure. If, if resources are provided, you know, everything is doable. And so without resources, it's not. And certainly we need to um, take the vaccine to people and not have them uh, coming to, to medical facilities or departments of health. <clears throat> we need to be able to set up these, these sites where people live such that they have access. Uh, one of the concerns with pharmacies is that, you know, we have a large uh, section of the population that, that live in pharmacy deserts um, or where it's not safe to get to pharmacies. And so you can, you can set these vaccines up in pharmacies. People still don't have access to them. So that nece doesn't necessarily work universally. The other thing that we have to think about is if we still don't get the information to people and answer their questions and quell their fears, we can set the vaccine distribution centers up in their living room and they still are going to walk past it on the way to the kitchen. So we've got to be able to address what it is that concerns people, answer questions honestly and openly, be unafraid to say, I don't know if we don't know, um, and give people the benefit of the doubt such that they can really make informed decisions about w whether they would like to move forward with this vaccine or not with good scientific data. Hmm. Let's try Leo in Atlanta again. Leo, you with us? Yes, I am. Hey, welcome to the program, Leo. What you got? 
Okay, so I'm from Atlanta. I've been living in Philly and the Northeast for the past few years, and I just moved back this winter. And um, one of the biggest things I've noticed in terms of the differing realities regarding COVID are that, and what I'm more concerned with is we know that masks and social distancing help, and people have to go to work here. It's really hard to get unemployment. It's really hard to get Medicaid and food stamps. You have to be working even to qualify for Medicaid and food stamps here. So unlike my friends in the Northeast who have the luxury of staying home here, people have had to go back to their service jobs, serving wealthy people who don't wear masks that come in to where they're working. And and we're going to get a response to that after this break that we have to take from Dr. Morgan, that different city to city. It's not something that gets reported very much. Let's hear what Dr. Morgan says after the break. This is America, Are We Ready? Our Thursday night call-in series for the first 100 days of the Biden presidency. I'm Brian Lehrer in New York. And I'm Rose Scott from WABE in Atlanta. And we are inviting your calls on the question, what can they do at the White House to reduce the COVID risk at your house? And we can also take your COVID questions for Dr. Jane Morgan, cardiologist and clinical director of the COVID Task Force at the Piedmont Healthcare Group in Atlanta. Dr. Morgan, did you hear the caller before the break and her disturbing scenario? I, I did. I did hear that question. And <clears throat> I think, you know, without question, we know that one of the public health measures for controlling the virus, containing the virus and protecting ourselves is uh, the social health, uh, public health measures of uh, washing our hands, uh, practicing social distancing and wearing masks. And you are right. It varies from not only from state to state, sometimes from neighborhood to neighborhood. And with uh, younger people tending to uh, wear the mask less often. Um, and then also we've had this whole political polarization where the mask was politicized. Um, and if you were on one side or the other, you wore the mask or not. And so, you know, all of that is nonsense because the virus uh, does not choose sides. It chooses the host, and, and the host is the homo sapien, the human being. Um, and that's where we need to separate the host or the human from the virus. Um, and so I think you're right. You, you would recognize different things, but even within cities and within states, you would recognize different patterns within regions. And we are hoping um, with this administration that we're able to get out a straightforward message and a message of unity with the entire American population that we are all in this together. We can only be as safe as our neighbor that we must all work to get towards herd immunity, that this virus continues to mutate and change. And as long as it can find a host, meaning another human to affect, infect, it continues to live and thrive. Mm -hmm. And so we need to get these, these information and get these voices out. But I appreciate the question. You're, you're, you are absolutely correct. A great observation. All right. That number again is 844-745-TALK. That's 844-745-8255. Let's head up to Tracy in Minneapolis. Tracy. Hi. How are hey. you? How are you? I'm literally sitting in my driveway. I just got home from getting my vaccine. Oh. I wanted to tell you that our governor, Tim Waltz, has done a great job prioritizing educators and those over 65. But my 
concern is that we have a previous administration that just wasn't transparent at all. And now the Biden administration is trying to be transparent. And it's a matter of getting states on board and listening to what the science says. I think that we are moving in the right direction, but this could have been maybe mitigated months ago. So we'll take that as a statement and let it stand on its own and move on to Ted as we thank you, Tracy, in Minneapolis, and move on to Ted right. and Livingston. Right, Tracy, I, I absolutely... Go ahead, Dr. Yeah, Morgan, you Tracy, wanted to respond to that? Better. I would just say I could not have said it better. I think you, you encapsulated that, you know, very well. You know, there is no reason for us to be in the situation that we are in now, uh, but here we are. So, you know, very great, very, very good insight. And Ted in Livingston, Montana, you're on America. Are we ready? Hi, Ted, thanks for calling in. Uh, Hi, thank you, big fan, long-time listener. Um, uh, so I have kind of two things that I'm trying to figure out, um, and so maybe you can help me. Um, the first thing is, if, if I've had COVID, um, do, do I have immunity from the new variants, and, or do I have immunity at all? And then the second thing is, um, my mother is in her 70s and I'm, lives in northeastern Pennsylvania, and I'm trying to figure out how to get her the vaccine. And I'm looking online and I see that, you know, like Rite Aid might have it, and then, you know, some general practitioners might have it, some local health places, but you have to be, you know, seeing a doctor there to get it. Um, and it seems like very sort of topsy-turvy and a little weird to figure out how to get someone who, you know, badly needs the vaccine. She's like in a high-risk group, um, the vaccine, and it's like I'm looking around on the, the basement of the Rite Aid website to find it. So um, those are my two questions. I don't know if you can answer them, but that's, I would love to know. Dr. Morgan, he speaks Thank for you. so many Good people question. who've so, had this disorganized, haphazard experience, right? Mm -hmm, absolutely. So you've had COVID and you have recovered. Congratulations. I'm, I'm happy to hear that. You sound nice and strong. The, um, the, the uh, SARS-CoV-2 virus, Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome, Coronavirus 2, this is a virus that causes a disease, COVID-19, has mutated or changed or developed strains probably close to 3,000 times now since, it was, since we first learned of it. Um, the, the variants and strains that we are discussing now um, are because there was genomic typing done in those areas. But what we have to understand is that this was really a failure of our system in tracking this virus as it continued to, tra as it continued to train, change. And over 90% of the variants have still never been isolated. We don't have a system in place to identify and track them. The ones that are getting attention are the ones that have been identified, but the majority, the majority of the mutations have not been identified. Now, are you immune to uh, the current strains, and do you have immunity at all? Generally, if you have recovered from a COVID, an actual COVID case, we think that you have immunity for up to 90 days. That is why we're still recommending that you receive the COVID vaccine because after 90 days, 
we, it appears that your immunity will wane or begin to disappear or weaken. So even if you've had the COVID disease, you still are recommended to get the COVID vaccine such that you can reach 94.5 or 95% efficacy, meaning protection from the disease. Now, are you protected from the current strains, the ones that are gaining attention in the UK and Brazil and South Africa? The answer to that is maybe. And the reason that I say maybe, it's maybe if you get the vaccinations, because what we see in in vitro testing, meaning that we've tested the vaccine against these strains in a laboratory. We haven't done the actual clinical trials. When we test them in the laboratory, meaning in vitro is the term that we use, they appear to be effective against these new strains, but not to the level of 95%, closer to 70 or 75%. Because you've recovered from COVID, you likely don't have immunity from the current strains because they probably, you probably did not have exposure to those strains when you were infected and you were infected with a different strain. So we don't know if one strain confers immunity to another, but it's unlikely. The same as the flu virus, why we have to get uh, an injection, an inoculation, a shot every year because the strains keep changing. Mm-hmm. Regarding, regarding your, your mother, um, you know, this is a situation that is playing out again and again throughout the United States, throughout, you know, um, every state in our nation um, because of the haphazard rollout. And so we are hoping under the Biden administration that soon this will be smoothed out, but you are correct. Some hospitals are providing it, some are not. Some are giving it only to their employees, some are giving it to patients. Some of the pharmacies have it, some of them don't. How do you know which one? You know, do you, can you get onto a sign-up genius? Is it at your doctor's office? Every single state, every single city, it's all over the place. So you're right, it's unfortunate. What I would say is that your, your best bet is your mother to contact her primary care physician and get direction from she or he regarding the best place and avenue for her to get the vaccine in her area. The second option would be the pharmacies, the pharmacy near her, call that pharmacist and talk with them. And if it's not there, they should have an indication of where it might be in the area. And those would be the two resources I would use at the moment until this sort of evens out and becomes more standardized. I hope I've answered your question. Wow, Ted, thank you so much for that. Let's head up to, let's go to Burlington where Robert's been holding. Robert, welcome to the program. Hi, thanks for taking my call. So just to be clear, it's Burlington, Vermont, not Burlington, Massachusetts, or any of the uh, many other states with the Burlington. Um, <laughs> at so, least you're not uh, in, a, it, at least you're a, not in a Springfield, which I think is in almost every state. But go ahead. <laughs> it's, it's even worse. Yeah, that's right. Boy, and Brian, it's so good to hear your voice. Uh, ever since 2000, when we moved from Jersey up to Vermont, I missed, I missed your show. Uh, anyway, back to the ranch. Um, we, um, th- we, in industry, we have this concept called just-in-time uh, logistics in which um, uh, our more emphasis is on place and getting the, pro- getting the components to the product uh, are just in time to assemble and less on warehousing these components. And in Great Britain, they are kind of ex- 
experimenting with this by getting the COVID vaccine in as many arms as rapidly as possible without guaranteeing that they're going to warehouse um, or, or set aside uh, uh, another dose for the second dose for that same person. But they're hoping that they'll have the second dose for that same person uh, um, at, at, you know, when, when the schedule comes up. Um, what do you think about that as a strategy for the nation, and uh, if maybe the Biden administration should consider it? Mm-hmm. Dr. Morgan, what do you think? So um, I, that's a great question. I'm not a proponent of that, and I'll, and I'll tell you why, and I'll give you three reasons why I'm not a proponent of that. Um, one, um, if you receive only one of the two shots in a two-dose regimen, you only receive protection of about 50 to 60%. That second shot is what gets you up to that 95% coverage of protection. So with one shot, you only reach about 50 or 60%. The second point that I want to make is that the trials done by Moderna and Pfizer, both of these are messenger RNA vaccines, were only done with a two-dose regimen. That's the data that we have that was submitted to the FDA where emergency use authorization was granted. All of that data, all of it, listen to the word I'm using, all was based on two doses. We don't have data on a single dose. And then thirdly, when we look at all of the mutations that are starting to come to light because, not because there are more mutations now, but because we finally are doing some genomic tracing and understand what mutations are out there, if you are only partially immunized, it encourages the development of mutations specifically against the vaccine itself. So for all three of those reasons, I would discourage receiving only one vaccine in a two-dose regimen. If you are in a regimen that is only a single-dose vaccine, like the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, if it it receives FDA approval or emergency use approval, is a single-dose vaccine, the clinical trials were done with a single dose, the data that was submitted to the FDA was single-dose, then please move forward with a single-dose with that particular vaccine. But the two vaccines that are out now, the data that we have is on two doses, and we want to make certain that people have full immunity. That would be my personal preference, and those are the three reasons that I would uh, encourage everyone to complete the entire series and not only and not just receive one dose. Yeah, a big debate in the country right now. New York Mayor Bill de Blasio wants to go the vaccinate everybody with the first dose route and hope they get those second doses in in time. Uh, Most scientists, but not all, and medical people take the position that you just took for exactly those reasons. So this is a big debate right now for sure. Lilith in Pittsburgh. You're on America. Are we ready? Hello, Lilith. Hello. Got a question? Got an yeah, observation? Um, so, yeah, while um, it's obviously going to take a while for the uh, vaccines to roll out, we still have to rely on masks and social distancing. But some states aren't going to do that, as we've seen. Is there a way for the Biden administration to punish states that do not uh, make any of those mandates? That's an interesting That's a- question, and we know the Trump administration, of course, yeah. was, was against that. And, Dr. Morgan, I'll just say that we know what the Biden administration 
has already done, which is that they have mandated masks on all federal property and interstate travel. That's what the federal government can most easily regulate. Want to pick it up from there? So I, I actually, I think you just did a great job. And because um, I am going to stick to the science and not the politics. And um, I don't know if punitive measures will be handed down for those who are wearing masks or not wearing masks. I, I don't know, but what I will say is I want to encourage everyone to wear a mask. And actually, because of the variants that are, are moving around that are even more transmissible, we are actually encouraging double masking, if at all possible. So um, I don't know what the policies will be surrounding that, but I'll speak to the science around it. And Dr. Fauci was asked about that double masking that we're starting to hear about on NPR's Morning Edition today. Here's how he answered that question. The first thing we want to do is we want to make sure that everybody consistently wears a mask. That's really step one. You know, obviously what I said some time ago about it makes common sense if you have a barrier that's physical. If you have a double barrier, you know, common sense tells you that two is better than one. But the formal recommendation from the CDC, which might change, that's conceivable, it might change, but the formal recommendation right now is just everybody wear a mask. Hmm. Dr. Morgan, I want to ask you a question before we head for break, because you and I have had this conversation. You've said it's not always just about the vaccines, it's about the vaccinations. And when we talk about these vulnerable communities here, we've talked about communities of color, but we haven't even started to focus on the rural communities as well, because for them, it's the issue is not just can we get the vaccines, but can we store them because they have to be stored at a, at a, at a proper temperature? Can people get access? When you think of the plight of the health of health centers and, and hospitals and rural communities, they're already coping with how to deal with that. Right. And I, and I think when we think about it, um, you know, in a global context, there are 135 companies right now actively developing COVID vaccines. And so what we know is that Moderna and Pfizer are first to market. Mm -hmm. But when all is said and done, they may not end up being best in class. What I suspect will happen is that we will have a variety of vaccines that are indicated for different populations. So for populations where uh, cold storage is not available, or maybe for populations that are children, or maybe for populations uh, that have heart failure. So I suspect when we look at refrigeration, these are going to be some of the issues um, that we will look at in some of these other vaccines that mm -hmm. roll out. Additionally, uh, Pfizer, with certainty, is looking to move towards their already their next generation of their vaccine that will not require I'm going to have to jump in because we have to take a break. This is America. Are we ready? And we'll all continue in a minute. This is America, Are We Ready? Our Thursday night call-in series for the first 100 days of the Biden presidency. I'm Brian Lehrer in New York. And from WABE in Atlanta, I'm Rose Scott. And we're taking your calls and we're asking you, America, are we ready to get vaccinated? Let's go to Cincinnati where Tommy's been holding. Tommy, welcome to the program. 
Hello. Um, I'm listening with my son, and he was curious um, when we might be able to be done wearing masks. <laughs> ah, curious, curious young mind. That's a good question. What's his name? What, Tommy, what's your son's name? It's Tyler. Well, Tyler, that is a very good question. I wish I had an answer for you, but I'm going to defer. I'm gonna, like in, in football, I'm going to kick it. I'm going to punt it to Dr. Morgan. <laughs> <laughs> um, it is a good question, and I, and I think uh, you should tell your son. Your son's name is Tyler? Yes. Is that correct? Yes. I think uh, That's correct. Tyler should expect to wear... Yes, I think he should expect to wear masks definitely through the summer. I mean, what we are really working to do is trying to vaccinate the public, which is a huge undertaking. Undertaking, And uh, these vaccines that we have out currently, remember, each person will consume two doses of them. So we need to, uh, I think, have some patience. Um, and this will... I think with certainty go through the summer because in the meantime, in the interim, we still will all need to practice all of our public health measures, which will include wearing masks to protect ourselves and to protect others. I have a mask question for you, Dr. Morgan. What's most important to you in a mask? The material, the thickness, a tight fit, something else? Yeah, I, I, I think for me, the, um, the fit of the mask is, is important. It doesn't have to be snug, but it shouldn't have too much air escaping. And then also the material. I mean, we certainly know that a three-ply mask is more effective in protecting you and others than a two-ply mask. A two-ply mask is better than a one-ply mask. Um, you know, certainly some of these cloth masks are also very, very, um, porous. And the nylon masks really offer very little protection at all. I've seen the nylon mask, I think, as fashion statements. But, you know, scientifically, they're not offering that much protection. Alicia in Weehawken, New Jersey. You're on America. Are we ready? Hi, Alicia. Hi. Thank you for taking my call. And it's, uh, um, I'm glad that you're running this segment. Can you hear me? We can hear just fine. Yep. Awesome. Um, my, my issue as a healthcare worker is that I, I don't have access to it. Um, and I'm, you know, treating, you know, 14 patients a day and I was given one opportunity to get it. And it was at a time that I couldn't go without canceling the patient's last minute. When I went back to try to get another appointment, um, they, I understand that New Jersey, at least the last I heard, they don't have any more. So from one standpoint, an accessibility issue, um, it concerns me if I do go ahead and get another chance to get the first dose, when will I actually get the second? And um, I, was, I understand that even if it's not within, you know, if it's later than 28 days, that I, that I still, you know, there's still some benefit to it. But, it, you know, I have concerns as a healthcare worker in, in 1A group, I still can't get vaccinated because I don't have access to it. Um, and then the second, more of a comment, not so much of a question, is just the um, lack of clarity between transmissibility and protection and the issue of herd immunity. I still feel like publicly that is very confusing territory. 
and I'm a medical professional. I still sometimes finally feel like I understand it. So those, those are my concerns. When you say transmissibility, do you mean it's not clear to you um, if the virus is still transmittable after you get the vaccine, or what are you thinking of along those lines? Well, I think, I think I've heard epidemiologists talk about the fact that becoming vaccinated does not mean you're no longer a potential host or carrier of it. And to which, you know, people that I hear talking about are saying, well, then why should I even get vaccinated? They don't, they don't understand the point that if enough people are protected, that's where herd immunity comes from. And it, I feel like we're very early on in the conversation for people mm-hmm. to understand, like, there's still value to getting vaccinated. Because if everybody does, that's where you reach, that's where you reach the protection um, on a larger scale. Thank, I think thank people you. think, well, if I can still catch it and give it, then why should I get the shot? Dr. Morgan? So remember that these vaccines have 95% efficacy, meaning 95% coverage of protecting you from COVID, which, which really is outstanding. They really knocked it out of the park. To give you an example, the flu vaccine that we take annually on any given year, somewhere between 48 and 65% protection. So this gives us 95% protection. Um, that still means that there's a 5% chance that you could be infected. It's 95% effective. If you are infected after receiving the, the full two doses of the COVID vaccine, you should have a milder course of the disease, but you, there's still a 5% chance. So we still, until we can reach herd immunity, we still need to continue to wear the mask even after immunization. The other part of your question is with regard to receiving the second dose late. Um, all of the trials certainly were done. Pfizer, the doses were 21 days apart. Moderna, the dose, doses were 28 days apart. You reach full immunity with Pfizer after one week after the second dose and with Moderna two weeks after the second dose. So if you're counting, the full time frame for Moderna will be six weeks to reach full immunity and for Pfizer four weeks. The CDC has come out with what they call exceptional circumstances. So understanding that for different reasons, people may not be able to receive that second dose within what we call the window or the time frame that was studied. And so they have allotted up to 42 days from the first dose to try to get your second dose in to still have some effectiveness. We have no clinical trials on this, but the CDC is recommending it because we want to encourage everyone to receive the second dose and minimize people walking around who only received one dose. And then the other part of your question, unfortunately, it sounds as if you are a frontline worker and you haven't had access to uh, the vaccine, Uh, Again, I don't know specifically what's happening in New Jersey, but like the caller uh, prior to you, I would check as Biden is trying, President Biden is trying to have the pharmacies be much more actively involved. And so I would start maybe by calling one or two local pharmacies in your area, talking with the pharmacist and, and getting an idea of what they understand when their supply is coming or when neighboring 
supplies will be coming to pharmacies and get an idea there and then check your Department of Public Health website. I know that these are not ideal situations, absolutely not ideal. It should not be this way. We should not be scrambling for vaccine. Every state is different. Everybody has a different way of doing it. But that's the best that I can recommend for you now is that that's what this administration is trying to do. And so your local pharmacies may end up being a very good resource for you. I think these questions and comments really, really tell you how much information is out there and how much misinformation is out there as well. Let's go to Kevin in Minneapolis. Kevin, thanks for taking your time. Hey, thanks, Rose and Brian, for taking my call. Um, and people pay attention. Dr. Morgan is communicating this wonderfully and knows her stuff, obviously. Um, my, my question is, or what I notice is, we keep talking about distribution or accessibility and then we talk about individuals' motivation or acceptance of the vaccine. And I feel like if we were doing this as a business and not as politicians trying to play heroes, we could probably have gotten ahead of it and done a little better. Um, if a business were doing this, we'd be talking about swag bags or two tacos and a corona vaccine. We'd be doing something that would be attractive to the general population to get people to come. We would be using um, mobile, like the mobile blood drive buses. We'd be using mobile vaccine clinics, giving people dates that were going to be in your area. And we'd move around and we would get groups of populations in one area so we can create herd immunity, which I have a problem with that phrase. I think it's better to say that it's saturation deprivation of the virus, but we're not cows. We're not a herd. Those are my comments. All right. We appreciate it, Kevin. Uh, Dr. Morgan, let's let's talk a little bit about planning because we could spend more hours talking about policy, planning, who did what, who didn't do what. At the end of the day, we're at a point where we're talking about what's the best approach, what are the best practices to get the outcomes that we all want, which is to, if not stop, but mitigate the spread of this virus. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. No, no, no argument there. That's where we want to to get. And you know, unfortunately, we are at you know. I, I, I've even stopped looking for over four hundred thousand deaths, headed towards an estimate of five hundred thousand in a in a relatively short period of time. And it's just um, it's it's unconscionable that the national disaster um, that this is and the toll that it has and will extract on our population and on subsequent generations is something that we um, haven't even begun to measure what that will be when we talk about the isolation of our elderly, the uh, confinement of our children, uh, not accessing school or social activities, the uh, deprivation of academics, the, you know, on and on and on and on, the loss of businesses and small businesses. Um, people staying home instead of seeking medical care because they are afraid of, of contacting COVID and, and dying at home, this, these collateral COVID deaths. Um, you know, when this is all said and done, I, I think the, the calamity of what we are actually experiencing will um, really begin to unfold. What do you think of this? Uh two tacos and a vaccine. I, I'm sure as a cardiologist, you don't love it, the tacos part. But as, as, a, as a health administrator who wants to get past vaccine hesitancy, 
I kind of dig it myself personally, yeah. but that's me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think it's very creative. You know, uh, I, I, I love the marketing and commercial people. And um, I think, you know, it, everything is on the table. Is there a most common, and by the way, our engineer Jason suggests an immunologist bobblehead doll as a little <laughs> bit of swag with your shot. Um, is there a most common <laughs> vaccine hesitancy question or reason that you hear, uh, Dr. Morgan, and a way that you respond to it? Yeah, sure. Um, we don't we don't trust the vaccine. Um, how do I know that it's going to work in me? Um, what what um, you know? W w what is the relevance to to my population? Um, and those are the kinds of things that that I hear most commonly. I think mostly it is um, fear of. Um, what science has done to African-Americans in the past. And the, the best way to protect yourself from that is just not to participate. And then you don't really even have to think about it. So, um, no, I will not be participating in any research. But we need to begin to think about clinical trials in a different way. Because clinical trials offer our best and brightest thinking. There have been no major advancements in pharmaceuticals, vaccines, or medical devices that have not come through clinical trials. If African Americans do not participate in clinical trials, if we continue to have data that is based on white males who enroll in these trials, then that is the data that is submitted to the FDA where these drugs, devices, and vaccines are approved with data on a very specific population. And so it's unclear then if any of that data has any relevance to the population, to, to other populations in this whole mosaic of America. And in fact, what happens is certainly in cardiology, drugs are approved. And the first time we recognize that there may be differences in either uptake or the way that they're used at home or all types of other things is when we were prescribing them and people began to have side effects. That's not the time, what we call real world use. Mm -hmm. That's not the time to discover that. The time to discover side effects is when you are in a controlled environment and you have a physician overseeing you and the FDA is overseeing this trial and a regional doctor is overseeing that doctor and a national doctor is overseeing that one and you have direct contact information with the research nurse or the research coordinator who wants to know every single thing that happens while you are taking this drug from coughing, sneezing, uh, sleeping an hour longer than usual. You have direct contact with them. Where else do you get health care like that? You get yeah. health care like that within clinical trials. Dr. Morgan, before we get out of here, I just have one quick question, and I can see it here. Is there any benefit to waiting? Some people say, well, maybe I'll just wait to a little bit later in the year so I can see if there are some side effects that are common that are being publicized. Sure. Um, you know, late adopters, uh, there's sort of this wait-and-see approach. We always see it. But the side effect profile is very clear. We know what the side effect profile is. Most Don't forget, 70,000 people 
were enrolled in these trials between Moderna and Pfizer. That's not an insignificant amount of people in their phase three trial. Uh, Moderna had 10.3% African-Americans, and Pfizer had somewhere between 93 and 9.8%. When we're talking about 70,000 people and almost and 10% of them are African-Americans, that's a fairly nice representation at thousands of people, 7,000 people. And even though it doesn't approach, it doesn't reach the 13.4% that we actually represent in this nation, it actually comes pretty close and it's pretty good. And so I think we have to think about, you know, we have to think about that in the in the totality of right. how things are being developed and how these vaccines are being developed. So and the as, side effect profile is known. And as we run out of time, that's a good hopeful note to end on that the vaccine trials were pretty representative. Dr. Morgan, thank you so much for joining us. You've been wonderful. The listeners are so appreciative of all the information that you've offered. We really appreciate it, yes, too. We do. And that's this week's edition of America Are We Ready? Our Thursday night call-in series for the first 100 days of the Biden presidency. I'm Brian Lehrer. And I'm Rose Scott. Make sure you tune in next week. And if you don't live in Atlanta, it's cool. You can log on to WABE.org from 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Or like everybody else, including Brian, I have a podcast. So subscribe where you like. What's it called? It's cl- I'm sorry. It's Closer Look. Closer <laughs> Look for Rose. And if you're interested, you can sign up for my national politics podcast, Brian Lehrer, a daily politics podcast. Rose, it's been great working with you. Thanks for doing this with us. Same here, Brian. I really appreciate it. And next week, we'll see where we all are on day 16 of the Biden presidency. Thanks for listening.